listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today it's the morning of 19th of November in Seoul, and I'm joined via Zoom by Gabriella Bernal, who is an occasional contributor to NK Pro, among other outlets, and who is doing a PhD at the Graduate School of North Korean Studies. We'll be talking about North Korea and its response to the environmental crisis, amongst other things. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please leave a review about this podcast wherever you can. And I do this so that people can discover our podcast more easily uh, and also become fans, hopefully. No reviews means that the all-powerful internet algorithm pushes us down the internet podcast rabbit hole into the abyss of ignorance, and so no new people will ever listen to us. So please do leave a review. And while you're at it, please share this podcast with everyone you know and three people you don't. I'd like to reach 1% of Joe Rogan's audience by year's end. I've only got a month to do it, so please help me to do that. Secondly, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription. Thirdly, have you looked at the 2022 NK News wall calendar? There are 14 wonderful photos taken in North Korea by non-North Korean photographers, and there's only 850 of these calendars available for purchase, so stocks will run out soon. It's a great limited edition gift idea for Christmas, which is just around the corner. You can get your hands on that and more at nknews.org shop. And if you have feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please email me at any time at podcast at nknews.org. Okay, so to introduce my guest today properly, Gabriella Bernal is a Korean affairs analyst based in Seoul. Uh, despite being a relative newcomer to the world of North Korean studies, Gabriella has already made a name for herself, starting her own website and writing as a contributor to Nikkei Asia, The Daily NK, and of course for NK Pro. You can find her on Twitter at Gabriella B. Bernal, that's B E R N A L, which also links to her own website. She has a keen analytical eye and a great work ethic. Welcome on the show, Gabriella. Hi, thanks for having me. I've noticed you were writing quite a lot over the, the last year, and I thought we must get her on the show soon. So it's nice to finally get you on. <laughs> Thank you. Now, before we get on to North Korea and the environment, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to North Korean studies and how uh, you're doing a PhD on the subject? Right, so I get that question a lot, actually. Um, well, first, I had initially, my interest was first in South Korean politics. Mm -hmm. So I started a blog back in 2018, uh, writing mainly about South Korean domestic issues, foreign policy, etc. And then I now, got hold the on. That's, that's not something people normally do uh, for, right. <laughs> for a country they haven't yet lived in. So what drew you to the Korean story at that time? Well, I had come to Korea first in the year before in 2017, uh, mm -hmm. just to, on a holiday. Yeah. Um, and so it was my first time in South Korea. At the time, I didn't know anything about the country. I didn't know anything about the history, the politics. But I'm a person that I like to go visit museums when I go to a new country to learn about the country's history. So I did. I came to Korea's uh, the War Memorial Museum. Mm. And that's where I learned a lot about the Korean War, which actually I surprisingly knew little about. Yeah. Um, so I had learned, um, for example, like in high school, we learned about the Vietnam War, et cetera. Like we learned a lot about that, but I knew about the Korean War as in I knew it happened, mm. but I didn't know any details. Like I didn't ever get to study it in, in depth. So going to that museum, it really taught me a lot about this whole other side of history that I didn't even know I wasn't even really aware of so that sort of sparked the first initial little interest in in the country's history so from then I at the time I was doing a, I was starting my master's in Paris mm -hmm. and then I while I was there I just tried and read to read as much as possible about Korean history of the Korean War and then that's how I sort of transitioned into South Korea's current politics and its current affairs. Yeah. And so because I like to write, I had just completed a, a study abroad um, in Scotland, actually. And mm -hmm. there I had written for this uh, local magazine. And so it was my first like experience really writing. So I thought, oh, I really would like to do this. Um, but at the time, it was really difficult for a, I think at the time I was 19, it was very mm -hmm. difficult for a a 19 year old student with no experience at all to be able to write for like 
you know, most news outlets about anything, especially something which at the time still was quite niche, like mm. South Korean politics, especially domestic politics, was very niche. So I didn't really know where to start. I didn't know where to, you know, how I could get my, my work out there. Because obviously, like, if you're going to write articles for outlets, they're going to want to see what you've written before, right? Yeah, yeah. They're going to want to see like a portfolio or like just samples, right? Yeah. So I thought, well, I need to do something myself. So I just made my own blog then. I decided to make my own space to write um, whatever I wanted to. So that gave me the freedom to really experiment, explore different topics. And then, um, yeah, I think I really started to write a lot at the time of the Pyeongchang Olympics. Mm. So really this whole like inter-Korean peace process was going underway. Um, I, yeah, and then I just went from there. I learned a lot through that research that I did for the articles. At the time, I was really just doing it for myself to teach myself and yeah. to just make, build up like this portfolio that I said. Mm. Um, and that's sort of how I got started with writing articles about Korea. And then North Korea actually came later. Mm. <laughs> North Korea, um, I, of course, was aware of North Korea. I'd read about it through the war and everything, but I, it wasn't what I was really focused on. So the opportunity to learn more about North Korea actually came soon after I visited, uh, I, I, yeah, I visited a North Korean restaurant when I was in Cambodia, actually. Ah. This was, um, I think, also in the summer of 2018. So about a year after I started learning about South Korea, so I was just on vacation in, in Southeast Asia and I, um, on, on our way to the hotel, I saw this North Korean restaurant and I thought, oh, wow, that sounds, you know, I, I mean, the opportunity to visit a restaurant like that, I thought, well, you know, I wouldn't probably get that in the future. Right. So I thought, oh, out of curiosity, I really wanted to go. So I did. Um, I dragged my parents there. <laughs> <laughs> I dragged them there to, to see. Um, at the time, I really didn't know anything at all mm. about current North Korean affairs. So I didn't know that when you go there, it includes like this whole show, this whole extravagant, right. you know, singing and dancing. And I had no idea. So yeah. it was actually a very unique experience for me. Um, so, yeah, I even was able to talk with a few of the waitresses mm -hmm. who are North so you'd already started learning Korean at that time. Yeah, but my Korean was really basic at the time. So mm. I just, you know, I said a few things and they were very surprised. Like, oh, how did you learn Korean? Yeah. And so anyway, so that was a very unique experience for me. Um, just, just everything, the music, the food. Uh, it felt just very different. So that, again, piqued my interest then in North Korea. Yeah. So that... that um yeah that was the the initial interest for for that and then afterwards i got the opportunity to do some volunteer translation work mm -hmm. uh, for daily nk yeah um and that's where i started to really learn about north korea more in detail because of course the articles that they publish are unique in the yep. sense that they have you know their sources in north korea so through translating those articles from korean to english that helped me a lot with learning about, you know, day-to-day -day lives of North Koreans and uh, various issues, except besides just the political, you know, the nuclear weapons, the nuclear tests. Besides that, it helped, yeah, it helped me learn about the different facets of North Korean society. So, yeah, it was, that, that helped me a lot. And mm. through that, I, it piqued my interest. And then I decided, oh, this is very niche and very unique. And um, I would like to specialize in this. And so, yeah, I went from there. And then from there, I just I started I transitioned from writing articles about South Korea to starting more uh, focused on North Korea. And yeah, long story short, then <laughs> next, uh, then uh, the next, because I started the translations in 2019. And then in, then last year, I, someone recommended me this program that I'm studying at now, the PhD program, they said, Oh, you might be interested in this, maybe you should apply. And while it was in the middle of the pandemic, I was stuck at home, I couldn't go anywhere. So I mm. thought, well, why not? So I applied and well, now I'm here. So and for our listeners out there who might be interested in pursuing graduate studies, either a master's or a PhD at the Graduate School of North Korean Studies, what should they know? Uh, and is it worth doing? 
I mean, for me, I definitely think it's worth doing. It's worth checking out. But definitely the number one thing they need to be aware of is the Korean language ability. Mm -hmm. So if you want to study, everything is in Korean at this particular school that I'm going to. So definitely you would need your Korean language ability to be very high. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's enough to actually have like a topic score of five or even six, because I know a lot of people who have topic five or six, Mm -hmm. but it's really about the vocabulary because if you have topic five or six, but what you usually, you know, talk about or daily things yeah. or depending on what, what field you work in, it'll be very difficult to understand the lectures because again, it's a very niche subject. The vocabulary is very difficult. Again, we're talking about nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, you know, a lot of history, a lot of North Korean words, which yeah. don't even exist in South Korean. So, you know, that in that sense, I feel like the translation work at Daily NK helped me a lot because there were so many words I came across at the time that I, you know, they don't translate into South Korean because they don't exist. Mm. You know, so I would recommend anyone before applying to really get that vocabulary together and really read as much news as you can, as much news in Korean um, as possible. Um, to really get that, that those words, because otherwise it's going to be very difficult. So besides that, also there are people from various backgrounds. We have journalists, we have other people who come from totally different disciplines, business, uh, um, the arts. So that's, uh, that's not a problem, even if your background is not in, let's say political science, but it is helpful. I would say it is helpful if you have a background in North Korean studies, Mm -hmm. because it would just make, again, understanding the lectures much easier if you have that background knowledge. So I will say that's that's another point. And then about the majors. So the school offers different different, uh, majors. Um, So master's and PhD. So both master's and PhD, you can choose between politics, education, economics, IT, military. What area are yeah. you focusing on? I'm a politics, so okay, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. and of course, uh, you you mentioned the, uh, the the stringent language uh, preconditions that are necessary, and and you've uh, you know you've started what started learning Korean in, in 2017, 2018, uh, and here we yeah. are, less than four years later, and you're already uh, doing a PhD in in Korean politics. So you've really absorbed all of this language like a sponge. So uh, that's very impressive. Well done on that. Thank you. I mean, I think it's because of the way I studied it. I didn't study it the way, you know, usual foreigners study it, like through, I don't know, dramas mm-hmm. or K-pop. You know, I really did from the very beginning, even when all I could say was, <laughs> like yeah. the, really, the from the beginning, I would watch like every day when I was living in Paris, like at night, I would watch like 30 minutes of of Korean news, South Korean news on YouTube mm-hmm. to just get that vocabulary because I knew that's my area of focus. Right. So that's really how I learned it. So it's not really through, you know, your typical books or your typical classes. So that's why I think I was able to, you know, get this, absorb this information much, much faster. Yeah. That's a, a good tip there. So yeah, find your focus and then, uh, and then, you know, hone in on that. That uh, vocabulary, yeah. And the uh, the website for listeners of the uh, Graduate School of North Korean Studies is uh, nk.ac.kr. All right, now let's move on to an article that you published recently in The Diplomat magazine called Sustainability and Survival, North Korea's Struggle with Climate Change. Uh, this article came out uh, just before the recent COP26 conference in Glasgow, which uh, I believe some members of the North Korean embassy in London attended. You start your piece by painting a picture of North Korea at a crossroads. Tell us more about that. What crossroads is North Korea at? Right. So North Korea is currently dealing with an ever weakening economy while also having to deal with the recurring national disasters. So I call it a crossroads because the North Korean government will have to act quickly mm. in order to prevent any further long term damage caused by environmental disasters. But in order to achieve this, serious policy changes are required. So the North Korean government will have to invest significant time and resources, which they actually don't currently have, Mm. in order to minimize damage caused by these natural disasters. But with North Korea still heavily focused on maintaining its military defense, as well as improving its economy, I feel like it's going to be quite difficult for North Korea to achieve its many environmental-related goals. 
Now, North Korea has always been in a precarious environmental situation ever since the Korean War, when almost all the trees were cut down for fuel or, or were otherwise destroyed. And in the 1990s, of course, there was the, the famine that they in North Korea called the arduous march, uh, which was made worse by several years of drought and or floods uh, and poor uh, agricultural um, policies. So are things noticeably worse in North Korea now in terms of natural disasters than they were, say, 30 years ago? I, I think it's difficult to say that it's worse than 30 years ago because the situation at the time of the famine was something that, you know, as you may know, and I'm sure as your listeners know, it was on a scale not ever seen before. So the amount of people who died, who lost their lives, who who starved, I mean, it's not comparable to now. Of course, right now, the situation has been made worse through floods and droughts in the past few years. Mm -hmm. uh, food, there have been food shortages for sure, but um, people have become more self-sufficient now. Mm. So I think it's important to realize that in the 90s, people really completely relied on the government. They relied on those food rations. They relied on the government to support them and to supply most of their needs because that's what the, you know, the, the society is supposed to be the communist society right yeah. but now after that collapsed due to the famine in the 90s people people really became they had to they had to become more self-sufficient they had to really fend for themselves in order to survive so now what we see in north korea is a lot of these um yeah a lot of people just making their own finding their own way where they can mm. you know where they can people who live in the borders uh, border areas, they engage in a lot of smuggling, they make their own, you know, they make their own kind of business that way, they work in the market, they work in trade, uh, farmers have been able to, you know, keep some of the produce for themselves or to sell it uh, and keep the profits for themselves. So there have been a lot of changes that weren't present in the 90s. So this has helped overall make it, I mean, I wouldn't say make it easier, but right. definitely uh, to an extent, even if it's a small extent, it has helped people to find a, a different way of surviving without mm. having to 100% rely on the government. So it's not it's not easy to say, oh, things have gotten much better. They haven't. Definitely they haven't. The situation is still very, very bad, especially with the pandemic. The food shortages are quite serious mm. this year and last year. But to say that it's worse than during the famine, I, I think it's difficult to say that. Yeah, well, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, are we seeing an uptick in uh, the amount of, of storms or, uh, uh, or in you know, freak weather events and things in North Korea? Well, I feel like, I mean, as with the rest of the world, there has been definitely, yeah, the frequency has increased uh, of these floods, especially floods. I mean, North Korea had floods in the past, but not as as often as they do now. So right. as with other areas of the world, yeah, it's getting more frequent, it's getting more serious, it's being paired with other disasters such as droughts. Um, so yeah, I would say in that sense, yes, it is getting worse in that sense. Now, I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, how has the last year been uh, for North Korea in terms of uh, weather events? Uh, have there been many? Yes, yeah, so in uh, 2020, North Korea had a lot, uh, quite a few typhoons hitting mm. it. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been affected very, very um, negatively. I mean, especially it's uh, crop yields by both floods and droughts. Yeah. So in, in the summer of 2020, last year, they actually saw the most rainfall that many provinces had seen in about four decades. Ah. Um, yeah, so it's it was quite, quite serious, definitely. This year, again, they saw a lot of... Uh, rain and drought so it's um yeah you can't you can't say it's um getting any better actually it seems that it's getting more frequent every single year right you just mentioned crop yields can you tell us a little bit about how crop yields of things like uh, rice barley and corn are being affected by the changing climatic conditions yeah so north korea's crop yields have been negatively affected by both floods and droughts especially in the past two years so according to uh, the UN's Food and Agricultural Organization, North Korea's food shortages had increased in 2020 as a result of heavy floods. And so consequently, the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, they added North Korea to its list of 45 countries requiring external assistance for food that year. Mm -hmm. 
So that means it was it was a quite a you know very serious situation. And also a South Korean report also concluded that the North would grow only 80% of the five and a half million tons of food that it would need that year. Oh, 85%. So that, mm. That's quite a shortfall. Uh, now, what yeah. about homes? How have people's homes been damaged or destroyed by severe storms? And, and do we have any idea how many homes we're talking about? Well, according to North Korea's own articles, uh, about thousands of homes were believed to be destroyed, Mm. displacing countless people and leaving many of them homeless Mm. overnight. Um, But one key issue is actually that a lot of these homes were newly built only a few years ago. So this suggests that North Korea's, uh, you know, they often propagandize these construction efforts. I mean, it really shows that it wasn't yeah, it was more for show than anything else. And after the 2020 floods, Kim Jong-un himself admitted, again, this was, I read this in a, in a Rodong Shimun article, mm-hmm. he admitted the need for the country to improve its construction methods, especially like dikes, dams, um, to prevent more severe flood-related damage in the future. So he, he, yeah, I mean, in many ways, he is admitting that, oh, you know, we need to do better in construction infrastructure to make it more you know, to be to make it withstand these kinds of natural disasters better in the future. So they are admitting sort of that, oh, things need to change and we need to do better. Mm. Yeah, we've reported on some of those uh, publicity campaigns in the past that, you know, uh, reporting within North Korea of uh, hundreds of new homes rebuilt after flooding and things like that. And you, you point out that, yes, yeah, some of these then get destroyed in the next round of flooding. And I wonder, does do we have any idea whether it's the location that they're being built in that is is the problem or is it the techniques that are being used in building the houses i, I guess that's hard to get that kind of information out of north korea but do we have any clues yeah i would say it's definitely the materials because the materials that they use are known for being very low quality so for example north korea rebuilt thousands of homes as a result of damage caused by the 2016 typhoon lion rock and although the work was conducted very, very quickly and on a very large scale, so they really were able to build many, many homes in a very short period of time, but the quality of, mater- of the materials used was clearly not durable nor appropriate to withstand future natural disasters, mm-hmm. as we see, as we saw last year, because the homes were practically destroyed, all destroyed again. So it's this recurring pattern. I think it's getting worse this year. It's going to be even worse because due to the continued border closure with China, um, materials aren't coming in. So North Korea isn't able to get a lot of the materials, the construction materials that it needs in order to repair these bridges, these houses and infrastructure damage. They don't have a lot of these materials domestically, so they need to import them from China, but because the borders are closed, uh, it's been difficult to do so. So my guess is that Whatever they've rebuilt last year and this year, it's going to be even even less durable. And we haven't even taken into account the consideration that, uh, in many cases, these uh, in, in these rapid home rebuilding campaigns, the building labor is carried out by groups of soldiers who may not actually right. be trained in you know the art of making a house properly. Uh, so they that the you know they, they may be a bit more slipshod or uh, or not quite so careful to make sure that all the joins and seals are, uh, are correctly done that kind of thing yeah for sure that's true definitely and the, mm. and the faster you do these things you know they have these kind of speed battle campaigns there's probably no time sure. to to go back and check the work properly no not at all exactly that's a big problem so how seriously is the North Korean government taking the problem of uh, environmental sustainability and climate change? Well, in the aftermath of the typhoons uh, of last year, the North Korean government set out to better educate the public on how to prevent further damage mm. and as well on how to cope with similar climate emergencies in the future. So according to one KCNA article, party officials conducted an, quote, intensive information campaign aimed at the public while implementing, quote, immediate and thoroughgoing measures to deal with the crisis. Mm. So they have tried to, you know, educate the public better on how to to be prepared for these crises or how to deal with them. 
Um, and the situation was taken seriously at the highest levels of government, actually, with Kim Jong-un going as far as convening an enlarged meeting of the Executive Policy Council mm. of the Central Committee of the Workers' Party to organize a recovery campaign to address the impact of these natural disasters that hit uh, South and North Hamgyong provinces. Right. So uh, Kim Jong-un even visited the disaster-stricken areas in person, uh, thus further emphasizing the importance of studying the causes and impact of these climate-related crises, while also calling for increased, quote, single-minded unity mm. for the recovery efforts. So the government is presenting this image of being tough on climate change with Kim Jong-un, you know, getting involved directly in person. So they're, they're painting this picture of, of, of really taking the issue seriously. Yeah. Do, do we have any evidence of new policies being promulgated and implemented? So besides what the North Korean government shares on its own media, it's also trying to show the rest of the world that the environmental policies uh, that they're you know, promoting are indeed being implemented. So, for example, in a report published by North Korea to the UN this year, mm. Pyongyang pledged to, quote, actively join the international efforts to protect the global environment while continuing to develop its own domestic policies related to climate change. So some of these policies actually include its 2019 to 2030 National Disaster Reduction Strategy, its National Greenhouse Gas Emission Reduction Plan, uh, marine conservation, forestation, protection of endangered species, and increasing awareness of climate change through education, as I mentioned before. Mm. So according to um, North Korea's National Disaster Reduction Strategy, their goal is to minimize the risks caused by natural disasters by institutionalizing a nationwide disaster management plan, uh, raising public awareness on climate issues and enhancing the country's material supply capacity. And regarding the greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, North Korea is aiming for a total of 15.63% of uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction under its current economic activities or about 50% uh, of a reduction if international assistance is provided. Mm. And the report also includes several sections on North Korea's policy regarding uh, cons conservation. And according to the report, uh, North Korea says that it's taking various measures to prevent all kinds of uh, marine pollution and protecting endangered species, et cetera. So they, they have really, you know, laid out this detailed plan of action that they're already doing and what they plan on doing in the future. So this is their way sort of of showing not just domestically, but to the world that, oh, we are taking climate change seriously. We are really doing something about it. And here's the proof of that. Look at what, what we're doing. So they're, they're, yeah, that's what they're trying to show. Is there any sign that these new policies will help matters? I mean, if North Korea can actually implement these policies consistently and in a timely manner, then there's no doubt that, you know, the results would be positive over time. But the issue is whether the government will actually commit to making these policies a top priority, mm. which, in my opinion, is quite unlikely. You know, although North Korea continues to argue that its environmental policies are high on its agenda, in reality, the country has different priorities for the time being, especially amidst this pandemic. Right. And we also know that uh, just in the last few years with the uh, the Byongjin or uh, parallel line policy thing there, that North Korea maintains this sort of, uh, well, th this idea that it's pursuing nuclear weapons and economic uh, growth at the same time. So maybe, you know, it, it, at some stage it might say, well, we're doing three things at the same time. We're doing nukes and an economy and we're helping the environment. But of course, you know, you can't do those three things in equal measure at equal priority. You know, one of them inevitably uh, comes at the expense of the others. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Mm -hmm. Now, sustainability has not usually been a big issue in centrally planned economies like North Korea. Uh, how is that changing? Well, there's not much of a choice. I mean, as has been the case in most countries around the world, environmental policy has had to become a part of national strategies due to the undeniable changes occurring, you know, regarding our climate. Mm. So it's not an issue limited to just one country or one region. So it's inevitable that North Korea too, despite its isolationist nature, will be impacted by this issue, which they clearly have been. You know, every time a natural disaster hits the country, the damage is immense and the time to recover is very long. And not only is the financial damage too high for the government to bear, but other issues such as food supplies, 
and infrastructure damage affect practically every sector of society Mm -hmm. and not just ordinary people, but everyone. So the government has no choice but to pay attention to, you know, these environmental issues, given the disastrous consequences of turning a blind eye. Um, Now, North Korea, I think, if I understand correctly, most of its electricity comes from uh, burning coal. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Is there any sign of change in that? No, no, not really. Actually, on the contrary, I'll mention that a bit later. But I mean, uh, coal production is is actually increasing Ah. because they not only for North Korea, actually, I mean, North Korea needs its own coal, of course, for electricity. But as you know, the electricity supply in North Korea is very, very um, unstable and uh, quite sometimes non-existent in some rural areas. Uh, And this is it's not because North Korea doesn't have the coal to power its own cities, but it's really because a lot of it is exported to China. Mm. So China needs a lot of this, this coal. So um, again, with the, as you said, the Pyongjin line, their, 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 Kim Jong-un's priority really is growing the economy. And one of the main ways to do this is through selling coal to China. So, you know, will they, you know, let's stop doing that just for the environment? I d- doubt that. You know, I don't think so. And and what about uh, converting factories to make them greener and cleaner? Uh, is there any sign that you know that there's less pollutants being thrown into, uh, spewed into the air and into the rivers? We don't have any concrete evidence of that. No. I mean, sometimes there is mention made of uh, you know preserving the. I mean, they, they make mentions of these things right. sometimes, but any any specific yeah, yeah. specific uh, concrete like, plans? No, or, yeah. no, no. Okay. How has the weather been this year and how are things looking for the all important spring harvest uh, in early 2022? Right. Well, things this year haven't been much better compared to last year. Instead of heavy rains this year, North Korea's summer started off dry. The country was hit by a severe drought in July, actually, with state media reporting serious damage to agricultural production as crops dried out, mm-hmm. furthering, further worsening the country's, you know, quote, food crisis, which is what they called it themselves. Yeah. So they admitted that it's, there's a food crisis. So according to North Korea's figures, total rainfall for the year up until mid-July was the second lowest since record keeping began in 1981. And with the country already facing record level food shortages as a result of you know, it's pandemic uh, prevention policies. Pyongyang, I mean, yeah, North Korea, had they've already declared an official, you know, like I just said, an official food crisis. So in Kim Jong-un's own words, uh, he said that, quote, the people's food situation is now getting tense as the agricultural sector failed to fulfill its grain production plan due to the damage by typhoons last year, unquote. Right. So North Korea, I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal because they never admit their own mistakes or failures. So this really emphasizes like how serious the situation is. And um, but yeah, just as the government was laying out its plans to tackle this food emergency, a new series of floods hit the country in August. Mm. And so these floods washed away many homes, roads, bridges, uh, especially along North Korea's east coast. Um, and state media even reported dozens of deaths as a result of these rains. And as for the spring harvest next year, I mean, it's difficult to say because there's very little information. North Korea hasn't said that, oh, it's, you know, um, the harvest is going to be terrible or they, they haven't, you know, they're not going to explicitly say that. But we do know that there's an ongoing shortage of fertilizer. So this could, again, this is likely to negatively impact the harvest next year. Yeah. Has South Korea tried to offer some help? I mean, uh, they have definitely in the past, especially since uh, 2018. Uh, North and South Korea actually agreed to increase cooperation on environmental issues mm. uh, two years, uh, three years ago now in 2018. In the 2018 Pyongyang Joint Declaration, uh, both sides actually agreed to strengthen cooperation in the areas of um, forestry right. specifically. And um, when they had these good relations, um, they actually made joint efforts to prevent the spread of the pine needle gulmage. It's a type of fly considered a major forest wow. pest. So they did, they conducted some, you know, kinds of cooperation. Um, but recently it's been, uh, yeah, everything ever since the Hanoi summit sort of, you know, collapsed mm. and all the diplomacy, all of that, that momentum was lost. Um, North Korea has sort of, you know, as we know, they've sort of ignored 
uh, many inter-Korean projects and they've not really been very active on, on that front. So although South Korea is always open to helping, mm. um, yeah, North Korea hasn't really shown much interest. Is that also the case with uh, food aid? I mean, has South Korea offered any food aid uh, recently and has North Korea accepted it? Yeah, no, North Korea has not accepted yeah. it. Um, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, South Korea offered, yeah, various ways to cooperate, to help. Other countries also offered food aid. Um, uh, but yeah, North Korea, again, they they have not accepted. Uh, so they seem to really be sticking to their you know self-reliance policy. Mm. And if you look at state media, that has become much more uh, prevalent in the past two years. It's all about, you know, doing things on their own. So yeah, they're not really, they don't seem very open to accepting help from anyone. What's North Korea doing in the field of biodiversity? So regarding biodiversity, the government is pledging to continue its efforts to prevent the extinction of rare species while protecting vulnerable groups. So it'll do this, it says, through conducting regular surveys to keep track of the types and numbers of species in different environments throughout the country. And actually, a few days ago, um, KCNA, they published an article titled the, uh, quote, Protection of Useful Animals, oh. Brisk in DPRK. So useful, useful animals. animals, yes. Yes, in which they yeah detailed some recent efforts to protect these animals. So according to the article, various provinces, cities, and counties are setting up reserves in, quote, scenic hill areas. Um, which are habitable for what they call useful animals like pheasant and roe deer, while also protecting the forests and ecological environment from damage. So these reserves are meant to create a favorable environment for these animals to breed in order to increase their number. Mm -hmm. And the article also mentioned that scientific research is also currently being conducted to improve the environment for these animals, while also maintaining uh, healthy levels of forestation. So, I mean, recent, yeah, you can see a lot of these articles that are actually pretty recent. Yeah. So they're trying to show really that they are, they are working on this. But it's also yeah. worth pointing out that, that their focus is on what they call useful animals rather yeah, than the idea true. that uh, intrinsically uh, every species of animal has some value yeah. in and of itself, right? That uh, I, exactly. I think if, if, if Kim Jong-un were to suggest that uh, a particular species of animal was not useful, uh, then that animal you know, <laughs> could cease to exist within North Korean borders. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. What about in other uh, areas of conservation, such as, um, I don't know, perhaps uh, rivers or landscape or, uh, or forests? Right. right. So the, the report that they submitted to the UN, it also makes mention of their efforts in conservation, restoration and sustainable use of territorial and inland freshwater ecosystems, in particular forests, wetlands, mm. mountains, drylands. So North Korea actually first introduced its forest recovery campaign in 2015 to undo damage caused by decades of deforestation. And according to its own figures, they say the campaign has uh, helped uh, significantly to reduce non-forestry land area from 10% mm. to 10.6% in 2010 to 5.5% in 2019. And uh, according to their goals, to the government policy, they uh, are aiming to a forest about 1.4 million hectares of mountain by 2024, which is expected to create greenhouse gas emission reduction capacity of more than 10 million tons per year. Mm. And also, according to another recent article published um, on KCNA earlier this month, uh, North Korea's Academy of Forest Science is pushing ahead with research on forest conservation and afforestation. So what we're mentioning here. And according to the article, the Academy conducted survey of soil conditions, inclination and tree species in different places uh, throughout the country, while also focusing on tree planting and tending methods to meet the geographical uh, characteristics and conditions of the country. So again, um, it's an ongoing effort, clearly. They're still, yeah, they're still doing it. Mm, now, it's so a difficult question to see from where we are, but are there, can we tell whether Kim Jong-un is taking all of this seriously or is this just window dressing to, to try and send good signals to the outside world? 
I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think the government is aware of the serious, seriousness of climate change. After all, they felt this firsthand, mm -hmm. right, because of the effect of typhoons and droughts. But it doesn't mean that uh, North Korea will be taking making this their top policy priority, like we said before. So I think their priority for now will remain improving the economy, modernizing the country, mm. and of course, maintaining a strong military. So environmental issues, I think, will come after that. Right. Um, well, let's turn to uh, COP26 that finished very recently in, uh, in Glasgow. North Korea is a party to both the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change and the Paris Agreement. So as a as such a party, it was invited to the Conference of Parties, or COP26. Uh, what have you been able to glean from media reporting about North Korea's attendance at and participation in that all-important conference? Right, so North Korea's ambassador to the UK, Che Il, he actually joined the conference and reportedly sat through Moon Jae-in's speech, oh. in which, uh, yeah, so... Uh, Moon Jae-in, in that speech, he pledged to reduce greenhouse gas emissions on the Korean peninsula mm. through forestry cooperation with North Korea. So he did mention that. Um, and then also Choi Il, he reportedly responded with, quote, no comment mm. when asked by reporters if he had any plans to engage with officials from South Korea and the U.S. at the conference. Mm. So what he said, the only thing he said is he was there to have discussions. That's it. So he didn't mention any other uh any other um parties any other countries um so yeah we don't have many details but that's it okay. we know that he wasn't initially let in oh. the conference oh, there was some kind of yeah there was some misunderstanding with his uh um i don't know what it was exactly his id or something he wasn't able to get in but then after they made some calls they verified his identity then he was able to get in but yeah there was a little so so South Korean media really had a you know, field day with that yeah. one, like reporting, oh, the North Korean ambassador, he wasn't let in. So it's not that he wasn't let in. It was, you know, little little hiccup there. But anyway, he was able to attend. And, right. But no, no we don't know. Um, and yeah, that many details. But he, about he didn't what... give a speech or a, or a public statement or anything like that in the conference? No, uh, no, not that. Uh, and do we have any idea which interactions they had with with other attendees? I mean, as you said, there's... No, we don't. No, we don't okay. know. No. There's no. Was there any reporting in North Korean media about it? No, I went through the uh, main newspapers mm -hmm. over the past, uh, since the beginning of the conference till like the end of it. And they did, as I said, they have throughout the conference, they did upload quite some articles about the environment mm. and about what I mentioned about the recent efforts, what they're doing, um, but not a specific mention about their involvement in the conference. No, I've not read it. Okay. Wow. That's um, uh, perhaps a, a, a troubling sign. Uh, <laughs> what is North Korea's commitment to the, the UN's sustainable development goals, the, uh, the SDGs? Has North Korea expressed anything about that over the years? Yes, they actually have. North Korea has actually been quite active when it comes to sharing its SDG related policies. Mm. So they've been preparing to cooperate with the international community and in implementing the 2030 agenda since September 2015, actually. Um, and in July of this year, um, North Korea participated in a voluntary national review in which it reported on the implementation status of its um, SDG of the SDGs. So for them, they emphasize the importance of SDGs regarding energy, mm. agriculture, water, sanitation, and hygiene, uh, and the environment. And they disclose that its SDGs reflect 53% of the global SDG targets, according to their own figures. Again, we can't verify right. this. Um, and they also clarified that they integrated the UN SDGs with their own national development goals. So I actually think that's very interesting. Um, to achieve their objective of developing a great socialist nation mm -hmm. and uh, together with their five-year economic plan. So in other words, North Korea is trying to localize this global norm yeah. by advocating for what they call our style, Urishik, like their style um, SDGs practically, right. uh, mixed in pretty much with their own national goals. So that's sort of, they're making it sort of custom-made for right. their own situation. Now, mm -hmm. as you said, they're using or they're supplying their own statistics. And that brings up the problem that, you know, since North Korea is a closed country and objective information is very difficult to gather, 
Uh, it doesn't really allow uh, you know, monitoring or independent organizations to work within it. Uh, so it's almost impossible to verify the rare statistics that are released by the North Korean government. Can't it just pretty much claim anything it likes without being challenged? Yes, for sure. Of course it can. It can put out anything and, and <laughs> there's no way for us to really um, verify if it's true or not. Like, as you said, as long as UN officials or other international officials from NGOs yeah. or you know, independent org organizations, as long as they can personally go there and conduct regular inspections or cooperate on the ground with North Korean officials, it's going to be very difficult to corroborate anything that North Korea claims in its reports or media or speeches, etc. So are there any incentives for the North Korean government to release timely and accurate data? I mean, I think it, I mean, it depends on what, what context you're looking at it from. Mm. So North Korea, usually, they usually don't do anything for just for the heck of it. They will never do that. There is always some kind of a goal. So whenever they do share this kind of information, it is them, it's sort of a, a small way of them trying to show the international community that to some extent, they do want to be part of the rest of the world. They don't want to be completely isolated from the international community. They do want to be treated as a normal country the way other countries are, but there is a line that they won't cross always. Yeah. So on the one hand, sharing this information saying, you know, they are implementing the SDGs, they are working on these UN targets. Yeah, on the one hand, they're trying to look like a normal country, but on the other hand, it's there again, it's all about priorities. You know, their priorities will always be their national defense, the military, their security, the security of the regime. Mm. So as long as that maintain, you know, remains uh, threatened, which they, as they perceive it to be, then there will always be a limit to what they will share, of course. So, yeah, it, it, it really depends on and incentives. I mean, especially we can see that with inter-Korean co cooperation, they've not really had enough incentive yeah according to them to to participate so for them i think as we know one of the biggest incentives would be some kind of targeted sanctions relief mm. if the international community would would do that because north korea always uses that as an excuse for why they can't develop their economy why they can't implement these global you know goals or policies is because oh sanctions restrict them from from you know for example acquiring the materials they need or etc so um, yeah, things like that. Yeah. If they would get such incentives, well, then definitely, I'm sure they would be more motivated to show to share more. But you know, until the international community agrees on that, which they likely won't for the time being, then yeah, it's difficult to trust the, whatever North Korea is putting out there. For and sure. The other thing that we we haven't mentioned yet, uh, the theme of uh, national sovereignty, right? That North Korea, when when asked to uh, submit itself to monitoring processes or to allow in independent observers or things like that, whether that be about uh, nuclear weapons or um, uh, human rights uh, violations, it always cites national sovereignty as, as, uh, as one reason why it doesn't submit itself to international uh, observations and, and, and uh, processes like that. And I think that could be part mm -hmm. of it too, that... Uh, and, and, and that makes me wonder, you know, uh, on, a, on a bigger scale, um, whether North Korea can actually join in global cooperative efforts to uh, tackle climate change, increase sustainability, reduce pollution, or whether it will always do things by itself, citing that uh, national sovereignty as, as a reason for, you know, for not opening itself up further. Yes, I think for now, um, given what Kim Jong Un is, it, it, the direction he's going in with his policies, I think um, with increased uh, efforts at self-reliance, more mention of that in state media, and his increased crackdown on you know foreign influences, especially under the pandemic, there's been a lot of that going on in North Korea. So I think now more than ever, uh, the government feels quite vulnerable to foreign influence. So I don't think that they will be as yeah, likely to to just open up for cooperation mm. as maybe would be maybe a few years ago. I think now they're in a very, very um, unbalanced position right now that it'll be difficult for them to do that. And I, I don't think so. Like you said, they cherry pick usually what they uh, what kind of international 
policies they they involve themselves yeah. with, such as like climate change. For them, it seems like a pretty safe issue. Mm. But other issues, like you said, uh, uh, human rights, you know, allowing uh, investigations into that. Well, they will never do yeah. that because that definitely that, that directly threatens the regime. So. Uh, for, they will always have this kind of cherry picking mentality of what they choose to cooperate in. And because of this, it'll be impossible for them to completely be a part of the international community, mm. because if you want to be regarded as a normal country, well, then you would have to have um, you would need to be open, you know, yeah. be open to uh, playing by the rules the way all the other countries do. And North Korea is never going to agree to that, at least not under the Kim regime. So. Uh, no, it's probably going to be impossible, like you said, for sure. And of course, right now, uh, something we haven't even mentioned is the last year and a half under COVID, uh, North Korea has been under a self-imposed uh, isolation and almost every international NGO and UN-related body and even uh, foreign diplomatic missions have emptied out. And so there's very, very few uh, foreigners left in North Korea. So in a way, yeah, North Korea has made itself almost invulnerable to foreign influence because all the foreigners, almost all the foreigners have left. Well, that's what they're trying to do, but still information does get mm. in and um, it would, people are still, you know, reading things from the outside, seeing things, uh, you know, they, they're still being caught with, for example, like South Korean dramas or foreign movies. These things are still being circulated in there despite the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So for North Korea, I mean, there there have even been reports of soldiers being punished for for watching South Korean dramas. So it's even in the military. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's a losing battle in my opinion. I mean, there is no way to uh, stop foreign information from coming in, no matter how much they try. I mean, you can they can close the borders as long as they want, but it's just not sustainable. Yeah. It's not sustainable. So, yeah, the, I mean. It's it's a losing battle. It's just it's a matter of time, in my opinion. It's a matter of time. So well, it's certainly an mm. interesting uh, area to keep an eye on. In the next few months, we'll know uh, how the uh, the spring harvest goes, and we'll get some sense of what uh, North Korea's uh, crop yields will be like for next year. Uh, and then, of course, next year we'll have to watch out to see uh, for uh, to see if there are any freak weather events that uh, that further exacerbate North North Korea's problems with the environment. Uh, well, thank you once again for coming on the podcast today, Gabriella. Thank you for having me. Great research and uh, keep up with your writing. It's uh, a great discipline and it'll, it'll take you far. Thank you. Don't forget, listeners, you can find Gabriella on Twitter at Gabriella B. Bernal. That's B-E-R-N-A-L, all one word. And uh, you can follow her writing there. And don't forget also, if you have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can inquire about access at membership at nknews.org today. And if you have any feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, email us at podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to Arius Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating this podcast and to Gabby Magnuson, our post-recording producer genius. Thanks and listen again next time. Mm -hmm.